Islam and asked him about Iman and asked him about Ihsan and the Prophet وسلم, answered as you all know inshallah we can go to this hadith some other time but we see here clearly that these three levels are there and we really gotta work with ourselves to improve and to get ourselves from the level of Islam to the level of Iman to the level of Ihsan where do most people fit? Do most people fit in the level of Islam or Iman or Ihsan? Islam or Ihsan? Islam. The majority of the people. وَمَا يُؤْمِنُ أَكْثَرُهُمْ بِاللَّهِ إِلَّا وَهُمْ مُشْرِكُونَ The majority of them, as Surah Yusuf tells us, the majority of the people in general, they believe in Allah with some shirk. This is what Allah said. And uh, only a few ثُلَّةٌ مِّنَ الْأَوَّلِينَ وَقَلِيلٌ مِّنَ الْآخِرِينَ A few of the awwaleen and you know ثُلَّةٌ A group of الْأَوَّلِينَ وَقَلِيلٌ مِّنَ الْآخِرِينَ And very little of those who came later to them According to this I'm going to ask you a question then you answer me You just say true or false Every mu'min is a Muslim Every mu'min is a Muslim. That's true. Every Muslim is a mu'min. No, it's not true. Every Muslim is a muhsin. No. It's not true. Every muhsin is a mu'min. Yes. Yes. You see, so we, we see that we can take ourselves to that level of, of Islam, to that level of Iman, and then to that level of Ihsan, as the Prophet taught us. With our children, the majority of our children here in ISI or, or in most of Islamic schools, where do children in middle and high school fit? Do they fit in the level of Islam or in the level of Iman? Islam. And do not expect your child to be to jump to the middle of you know, the circle of Iman before they really take their time. Majority, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his ways and maybe your children inshallah will be among those who are mu'mineen or muhsineen but people take time how long did the Quran take in Mecca to prepare the Muslims to really come to the level of Ihsan some of them jumped no doubt and the first just when they started they started as muhsins like Abu Bakr and others but, but you know the, the level of Iman took a long time preparing the Muslims to come to the highest level 13 years in Mecca, nothing was there except the talk about Iman, the talk about, you know, all the preparation of the Muslims to become the Muhsins, to become individually ready to achieve the goals as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to achieve. So that becomes an important aspect. When would a child, give me an example of a, when a child moves, or a young man moves from the level of Islam to the level of Iman. When would that happen? What's a sign of that? Can any of you think of a sign? When I say, oh, he did that, then he must have now moved from the level of Islam to the level of Islam, or to the level of Iman. Being 
Coming to the Salah without being asked. Jazakallah khair. I think that's a very important point and a very correct answer. When your, your, your uh, child comes to the Salah or prays without being asked, that would be a sign that the child really came to the level of Imam. He's doing things because he believes or she believes that this is the right thing to do. And that's a good sign. When the child starts himself or herself to pray sunnah, the extra prayer, without being asked, or sit after the salah and make the dua and the conclusion of the salah, it's a good sign. If this is not happening, then we're still in the level of Islam, and on, and on and on. The Prophet ﷺ no doubt worked very much, very hard with the companions from the beginning to move them from one level to the other and some of them actually in, in a matter of days maybe or in a matter of, of weeks could jump from the level of Islam to the level of Ihsan. And uh, as we explained earlier, this is not what I, I presented to you this slide before where the Prophet ﷺ took the companions from point one to point two over the course of a mountain here they climb this mountain until they reach the top and actually in the top over here we could hear the Quran saying to the Muslims لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَلُوا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ around the seventh year in Medina so seven plus thirteen twenty years after twenty years and say nineteen twenty years we started to see Allah telling the Muslims I'm pleased with you so over this journey from point one to point two when they were weak a few as Surah Al-Anfal tell us وَذْكُرُوا إِذْ أَنْتُمْ قَلِيلٌ مُسْتَبْعَفُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ تَخَافُونَ أَنْ يَتَخَطَّفَكُمُ النَّاسُ فَآوَاكُمْ وَأَيَّدَكُمْ بِمَصْرِهِ وَرَزَقَكُمْ مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Remember when you are a few weak on earth afraid that people get you from everywhere and Allah sheltered you, supported you with his victory and gave you the tayyibat or the rizq so that you may be thankful. So that was a stage, few, uh, afraid, uh, weak, that was the stage of the Muslims in the early history of Islam. And then Prophet Muhammad came, took them to the level where Allah said, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah is pleased with the mu'mineen. رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُمْ I've seen this coming. So that journey took place over several years. It is very important to realize these stages as we explained in the previous series of lectures, the da'wah in Mecca and the da'wah in Medina. And the da'wah in Mecca, the first three years over here were years of low profile, no confrontation. And then after the third year, the third year represents a landmark in the history of Islam where the Prophet ﷺ declared da'wah in public. And we'll explore some of the history of that. So the, the, the da'wah over here was individual da'wah and the da'wah over there was the da'wah focused on the community or the Muslim to function within a community as I explained earlier. And as we will explain inshallah, part of the history of Islam in this period over here. Now, we said that this took place over steps, I'm reviewing with you in two, three slides what we did earlier, where the Prophet ﷺ took his companions in a step-by-step -step approach until they reached the top. And we said, you can take 
these steps, everybody can take these steps and if we draw a curve over here, we'll end up with that curve becomes the growth curve or the maturity development stages of terbiyah that everyone should follow as I indicated earlier. Now, the new part that I want to share with you, the role of the Qur'an in the process of terbiyah. How did the Qur'an, you know, move the Muslims? How did the Prophet ﷺ use the Qur'an to help the Muslims in the process of terbiyah? That is a course by itself. I'll just make an introduction to it so that you get a feeling of how this was taking place. I put for you over here the number of years in the history of Islam from year 0, 1, 2, 3 and so on for this is the da'wah in Mecca and inshallah I will present to you the da'wah in Medina in the next slide see so you have 10 in Medina over here and you have 13 in Mecca 10 plus 13, 23 over these years we will examine here the rule of the Quran and as you can see here I put here Surat Al-Muddathir, Surat Al-Muzzammil, Surat Al-Fatiha, Surat Al-Alaq. Early in the history of Islam, they play, played a very important role in the Tarbiyah process, in preparing the Muslims. And every Muslim should be aware of that. Every Muslim should be aware of what happened and what surahs. We read the Quran every day. We got to be aware what was going on. How did Allah wanted Prophet Muhammad to process this whole change. What were the rules of different surahs? Here comes the importance of understanding this chart. It has a lot of information in it. For example, when we look here, if you allow me to understand, if you look closely over here, you will see that the process of tarbiyah included here. Here, for example, in the fifth year, migration to uh, Al-Habasha, migration to Abyssinia, took place in the fifth year. Allah must have prepared the Muslims to this process before the fifth year. Where would we find this preparation? You see? They migrated to Al-Najah. And they had a dialogue, Jasper and Abhikali, that involved in a dialogue with Al-Najah, the king of Abyssinia or Al-Habasha at the time. With the Quran, let the Muslims go to that stage that preparing them? And the answer is no. Allah prepared the Muslims for major events in Islam. Would Allah let the Muslims migrate in the 13th year here to Medina without preparing them for this migration? And the answer is no. Allah must have prepared the Muslims for this migration. Where do I find this preparation? Becomes an important question for me to understand the process of career, to understand what happens in this itself. I don't read the seal of mind. I read the seal of mind and understand how it happened. And what was going on. So next to the books of seal of seal of the shah in this half in my hand, I have the Quran on the other hand. And I put them in the up. And understand them to lie to one another. And that's what I'm trying to do to you today. And I hope that you will take the approach 
and he will, inshaAllah, depend on the results and develop the skill of examining the seerah in the light of the Quran. I give you a taste of it today, inshaAllah. So then, back to migration to Al-Habash. Allah revealed to Prophet Muhammad Surah Maryam before that. And we know that Ja'far and Ja'min Talib read to Al-Najash in parts of Surah Maryam. And what is Surah Maryam talking about? How Muslims look into Jesus? What is common between Christianity and Islam? So it brings to the Muslims the common elements between Christianity and Islam. Brings them closer to understanding how to make a dialogue with the Christian. What we see at this stage in the dark, what we see versus that tell the Muslims, for example, This believers are those who said that Masih is uh, Allah. Definitely that came later. Allah at the beginning preparing them to mention the commonalities and at the same time to state the facts. So if you examine the Surah, you know, Maryam closely, you will see the Allah attacks the concept itself, but not the You know, Allah says in Surah Maryam, They said the Rahman has taken a son. The Quran says, You have brought something so huge. And the earth is about to spread apart. The heaven is about to spread into pieces from that plane that Abahman has taken the sun. You see, approach that. In Surah Mari, early in the history of Islam, when we look here in the fourth or the fifth year, you see, early in the history of Islam, when we see something where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the people about that you should really not care too much about your relatives. For example, I'm going to give you two scenarios. Ibrahim alayhi salam is saying to his father, قَالَ سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكَ سَأَسْتَغْفِرُ لَكَ رَبِّي Salam, I will ask Allah to forgive you. When his father said to him, قَالَ لَإِن لَمْ تَنْتَهِيَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لَأَرْجُمَنَّكَ وَهْجُمْنِي مَلِيمٌ He said, if you don't stop Ibrahim, I will stone you. Do you leave me alone? Ibrahim alayhi salam responded, قَالَ سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكَ سَأَسْتَغْفِرُ لَكَ رَبِّ Salam, peace be upon you, I will ask Allah to forgive you. That's in one scenario that comes in one soul. The other scenario says, وَمَا كَانَ اسْتِغْفَارُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ لِأَبِيهِ إِلَّا عَمَّ مَوْعِدَةٍ وَعَدَهَا إِيَّاهُ فَلَمَّا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ أَنَّهُ عَدُوٌ لِلَّهِ تَبَرَّأَ مِنْهِ The istighfar of Ibrahim when he asked forgiveness for his father was on, the, was on a promise that he made. And when he found out that his father was an enemy of Allah, he declared himself innocent. He withdrew, in other words, from the, that promise. 
Which one would come early in the history of Islam in the first year? And which one would come later after, say, 15 years, the beginning of Islam? Would it be the first one that I mentioned or the second one? Which one would come earlier? First one, definitely. If the second came earlier, people would have left their fathers and mothers and family members and didn't care. You see? But Allah wanted them to care. Wanted them to give a chance for their father, their mother, their family members. That's the da'wah, usulul da'wah. Take it a step by step. So that actually the one فَلَمَّا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ أَنَّهُ عَدُوٌ لِلَّهِ تَبَرَّعَ مِنْ Came in, in, in Surah At-Tawbah. Surah At-Tawbah is in Ghazwa At-Tabuk. Ghazwa At-Tabuk in the ninth year of after migrating to Medina after Hijrah. Nine and plus, nine plus thirteen, twenty-two years. You see? It's a long history. This one in the fourth year. So in the fourth year, Allah was telling them, it's okay. Deal with your people that you know, even though they are Kafirs, you still can deal with them, you still can, can relate with them, you still have this relationship, good relationship with them. Sterbiya in the Quran. Understanding it is very important. You see? And hence, understanding the rule of the Quran in the process of Tarbiyah becomes very important. That verse, فَلَمَّا تَبَيَّنَ you know, سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكَ سَأَسْتَغْفِرُ لَكَ رَبِّي and when he said salam, I will ask Allah to forgive you, is in Surah Maryam. So part of the teachings of Islam at that time, the process is to really see how you deal with people and how you lower, you know, your voice and not your voice, lower your wing to humanity in general and be nice to humanity in general. And later, after giving them a chance, you can start to take a stand and, and become stronger in your da'wah efforts. Uh, for example, in the tenth year, here, we have, a, we have a major event in the history of Islam. That major event was the death of, you know, Abu Talib, Prophet's uncle, and his wife. And it was called Amul Huzm, the year of sorrow. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa as he said in the hadith, Shayyabatni hudun wa akhawat. Hood and his sisters made the gray hair appear in my head. So what is Hood and what are the sisters of Hood? And the sisters of Hood could be, you know, Yunus, could be Yusuf, could be the Surahs that are starting with Alif Lam Ra next to Hood. So then, if this is the case, Adam, it's not the way. I have a window to study you know, Hud and Yusuf and others in light of what happened in the tenth year. That's a moment of reminding. So instead of studying the Sirah alone and looking into the books of Sirah, I'm going to get to the interpretation of Surah Yusuf, the interpretation of Surah Hud, the interpretation of Surah Yunus, and many other surahs with little research to find out what other surahs were at that time. I started them hand to hand, let's reach out. Take a few examples 
of, and then we can come back maybe to that, that chart later. Let me give you a glimpse of the other Quran in Surah, the other way of looking at the Quran and the rule of the Quran in Tarbiyah in Medina. Here are the ten years. And here are the surahs that were revealed to Prophet Muhammad with a timeline, or some of them with a timeline. What does this timeline help me see? This timeline helps me see a lot of things actually. It, it will help me in terms of so many things over here. I can look Surah you know, Al-Baqarah from the beginning of Hijrah to Medina until the eighth year or even more than that. Surah Al-Hajj from the first year, sometimes in the first year, Allah sent Surah Al-Hajj where the Muslims were permitted to fight back. Allah said to them, أُذِنَ لِلَّذِينَ يُقَاتَلُونَ بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُ A permission is granted to those who were wrong to fight back. And that's in Surah Al-Hajj. And we know that happened first year. We know that happened early in the history of Islam in Medina when the Muslims migrated to Medina and Allah allowed them to fight back. And hence they started. One of the major battles was what battle. You see? Then, looking into Surah Al-Hajj, give me an excellent window to see what was going on in the first year of Da'wah in Medina. So I have two pieces here. I have Surah Al-Hajj, Surah Al-Baqarah. I can examine them. And if I add to them Surah Al-Anfal that talked about the battle of Badr, which took place in Ramadan of the second year, then I have an excellent opportunity. I have these three pieces of the Qur'an here, three surahs of the Qur'an, that can guide me into understanding what happened in the first two years of Da'wah in Medina. Wouldn't that help me see the priorities of Muslims in Medina? Wouldn't that help me see what was done first in terms of the Qur'an in Medina? I can look at the seerah as well. Then I have the Qur'an and the seerah hand in hand next to each other. It's an excellent opportunity. You see? Then my ability to learn lessons would be much better than just only looking at the seerah alone. Same thing I can do when I look into Surah Al-Anfal, when I look into Surah Ali Imran, when I look at Surah Al-Nisa, and as you can see, the gradual increase, take care of certain things, take care of, take care of building the morale of the Muslims, take care of the issue of justice for women and for others in Surah Al-Nisa, and on and on. It's an excellent way of looking at the seerah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa with that in mind, let me just give you a sample of how the priorities were set in uh, Medina, or sorry, in Mecca, when the Quran was revealed to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We look, we start with Iqra. Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq. Iqra wa rabbuka al-akram alladhi allama bil-qalam, allama al-insana ma lam yalam. So we learn from this surah, Surah Tiqra, Surah Al-Alaq, Tiqra, Bismi Rabbika, Ladi Khalaq. We learn a few things. Number one, read. Right? So reading is very important in Islam. 
Does the word read here? Mean repeat after me? Or does it really mean the skill of reading? It's a very legitimate question. Right? Because if you look at the seerah, seerah was telling us the angel came to Prophet Muhammad and said to him, read, and Prophet Muhammad replied, I'm not able to read, I'm not a reader. And the angel said, read. The Prophet said, I cannot read. And then the angel said, read in thy name, in the name of your Lord. You see? So you might get an, an you know, just an, a guess that maybe he was referring to just repeat after me. But if you look carefully in the surah, I want you to look at the, this word, al-Qalam. The one who taught by the pen. So if you have read and the pen, the pen is a symbol of symbol of writing. So you're talking about reading and writing, which are the two basic skills that we teach here in Texas. You know, you take that that Texas assessment of knowledge and skills that all the students are required to take third grade and up and K-12. Is one of the basic two skills reading, writing, and they add to the math. You see? Three basic skills. And two of them spelled out immediately in the first surah that was revealed to Prophet Muhammad. Was it any kind of reading? Or was it a special kind of reading? See my question? What kind of reading is it? Is it only religious reading? Or any reading that is done in the name of Allah? General. But it has to be in the name of Allah. We call that Islamization of knowledge. You do anything for the sake of Allah. You do anything for Allah. You see? And in the name of Allah. Start in the name of Allah. The Quran starts, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And after that, you say, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. It's how we taught to start. And Allah wants you, number one, to believe Allah is there. And everything is done by the will of Allah. And every, you do anything for the sake of Allah. That's, that's a philosophy. That's a new philosophy for people at the time. Can we conclude from that? Before the conclusion, was there any other surah where we see the emphasis on writing is in the name of the surah? Surah Al-Qalam. And actually Surah Al-Qalam was revealed very early in the history of Islam, as I will explain. So if Surah Al-Qalam was there very early in the history of Islam, showing the Muslims the importance of writing, you know, then can we conclude that knowledge was a priority? Definitely. Knowledge is a priority in Islam. First day, Prophet Muhammad came in, came in with the order to read and write. And emphasized these two skills. So I would say then that faith is the first priority for the Muslims and that knowledge is the second priority. And they go hand in hand. They came hand in hand. 
Then, in the Sion, we are told that the revelation starts with the past in revelation. So there was no revelation for quite some time. And Imam Muhammad Abu Zahra estimated that to be about six months. You know, estimated, you know, educated guess. So what he did. Roughly six months. So there was no revelation for six months. And then, after that, we had these surahs, Surah Al-Muddathir, Surah Al-Fatiha, Surah Al-Muzammir, Surah Al-Qalam, and others. Wouldn't it be a great opportunity for me to learn what Allah wanted the Muslims to learn first if I study these surahs? Wouldn't I be smart Muslim if I want myself and my children to start, I would start where Allah wanted the Muslims to start? It goes without saying. But how many of us follow that approach? few. But I hope you will be among the few that Allah said we're not going to make equal those who know and those who do not know. And we'll be among those that Allah raised ranks. You know, the ones who give him the knowledge, Allah raises them ranks. And inshallah you will be among them. So by looking at these surahs then will be very helpful to me to set priorities for myself. Understand how the seerah of Prophet Muhammad went on in, in light of these surahs that were revealed to Prophet Muhammad And that's what I'm doing. Combining the Quran with the seerah hand in hand. And we see how this is going to help us and where it's going to take us to. So if I look at Surah Al-Muddathir and I read there يا أيها المدثر قم فأنذر وربك فكبر وثيابك فطهر والرجز فهجر So the opening of Surah Al-Muddathir First of all, the word Muddathir refers to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu The word Muzzammil refers to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu And both of them have similar meaning The one who is wrapped in a blanket or wrapped in clothes and that refers to the Prophet ﷺ coming from the cave, saying to his wife, Zammiluni, Zammiluni, cover me up, cover me up. And she covered him up and tried to warm him. And he was called Al-Muzzamma, was called Al-Muddathir. And the first two surahs that came after that, Muddathir, Al-Muzzamma. See? And all of them start with, Ya Ayyuhat, O you who, meaning Ya Prophet, or O you, Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Ya ayuhal muddathir, ya ayuhal muddathir. There in al muddathir, we read, Qum fa'anzir, start, warn the people. So early in the history of Islam, go tell the people about your message. But we'll learn later that this was a low profile. Calling like Waraq ibn Nawfal was calling the people. Educating others like Warafa was doing and others in a low profile without bringing any big attention to himself. And then we read, وَرَبَّكَ فَكَبِّرُ So that takbir, when we say Allahu Akbar, comes very important. Early in the history of Islam, Allah taught Prophet Muhammad to make takbir. Then when I say takbir, it has its roots early in the history of Islam. When I stand in the salah and say, Allahu Akbar, how this truth 
only in the history of Islam. When we make takbir in Salatul Eid, it's only in the history of Islam. And on Then understanding that becomes very fundamental in my tarbiyah process and in what I do with my children and in my use of the word takbir or say Allahu Akbar comes a very important word that I use. I choose it carefully because Allah chose it carefully for the Muslims to use. And then, وَثِيَابَكَ فَطَهِرْ The tahara. You know, your clothes, cleanse your clothes. So that tahara, physical tahara, is very important. From early in the history of Islam. So I teach my children, tahara is a very important aspect of Islam. It's one of the priorities. That you have tahara. And maybe... I add to that that the Prophet ﷺ was always in wudu. Then why wouldn't I teach myself and my children that I always stay in wudu? Whenever I go to the bathroom, don't leave the bathroom without making wudu. It becomes a habit for myself and my children and my family. Never go to the bathroom and leave if you have time. Don't ever leave without making wudu. It becomes an important habit. And it is an order early in the history of Islam for Prophet Muhammad to have the tahara and to not only the tahara, the physical of the clothes, but we have also the tahara of from the sins where and all sins please deserve. So spiritually, physically, that spiritual tahara and physical tahara is very important in the history of Islam. And in fact, that's what we do when we go to pray. When we prepare ourselves for the prayers, that's what we do in wudu. And we make the tahar. And then we learn after that what was the surah that was revealed to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu was surah al-Fatiha. Fatiha came early. And what is the Fatiha used for most of the time for, for us? Famous for what? Pray. For, for salah. Fatiha from kitab. You read for Umm al-Kitab. Umm al-Kitab, the mother of the book, is in Al-Fatiha. You read with it in every rak'ah. And then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, What do you do in Qiyam al-Layl? For you are Muzzammil, Qum al-Layl. Make Qiyam al-Layl. What do you do in Ramadan in Qiyam al-Layl? Qiyam al-Layl is a term that describes what? Does it describe stand or pray? Pray. We pray, we make Qiyam al-Layl in Ramadan. That's the term that we use for Salatul Qiyam in Ramadan. We call it in general Qiyam al-Layl. And that's what Prophet Muhammad was ordered early in the history of Islam. So Qiyam al-Layl or the Salat is early in the history of Islam. And look into how it was described. Qum al-Layl, stand the night. Illa qalil. Except a little bit of it. Nisfahu, half of it. Or a little bit less than that. Or a little bit more than that. That's the average. But that's how the people were told the average. You know. Half, a little bit less, a little bit more. What do we call that in today's terminology? Average. So on the average, half. Could be more, could be a little bit less. And the Prophet did much more than that. She's a lot. Then, Salah is a priority for me and I follow that priority and with myself, with my family, as we explained in other 
you know, lectures before. And then we learn from the surah that was given to the Prophet almost at the same time or a little bit after that surah al-Qalam, we learn the verse that says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And surely you have the best character. So we learn that we have a fourth priority, which is the character, akhlaq, manners, would work very well with us. Okay, so here are the four priorities that we have, and it's very important that I follow these priorities, because early in the history of Islam, and I want to take you back to where we started here, Surah, and then there were, in the history of Islam, two important verses that were landmarks in the history of Islam, in the seerah. You read in the seerah, two surahs were landmarks that came at the end of the third year or the beginning of the fourth year. And these two, I mean two verses, these two verses are the one that said, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ وَاخْفِدْ جَنَاحَكَ لِمَنِ اتَّبَعَكَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Warn your clothes, relatives. And that's in Surah Ash-Shu'ara. And after which the Prophet ﷺ will read in the seerah that he stood in the mountain, mountain of a Safa and called all his people, all his relatives and said, Oh Fatima bint Muhammad, I would have no benefit to you in the day of judgment and Allah would do whatever he wants to do. And all this, all this, he started to call all his relatives and, you know, Abu Lahab said to him at the end, that's why you gathered us, this to you. And Allah revealed to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu as you all know. That was the first verse. Second landmark verse was in Surah Al-Hijr. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَصْبَعَ Sometimes Fajr is called Sabah, which is, you know, clear criterion that distinguish the night from the day. فَصْبَعَ بِمَا تُؤْمَرَ Carry out the order clearly with no hesitation. Meaning in the past you were following low profile, you know, you were trying to not to go full scale, from now on, go full scale. After these two verses were revealed to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Dawah became public. So we have, the, if I look at this now in a different way, these are the two verses that we, this is in Surah Shara. And this is in Surah Al-Hijr, two verses that I mentioned to you, and you can examine them, inshallah, later. And here, we look here, you see these three years, and then Da'wah in public, this came here, came here after the third year. When the Prophet ﷺ started this Da'wah in public, was a clear challenge for, for Quraysh. Now a new history of Islam. And persecution started. Confrontation started. And all difficulties started to appear. That's what you read in the books of Seal. But the question is, why? What's the difference? 
The difference comes from understanding the Qur'an. The difference comes in by examining the Qur'an next to the seal. If I see them next to each other, I'll be able to find that why. And let me share with you some of this. So here is what I presented to you, redrawn. Start the revelation in the past with six months. Then Al-Muddathir, Al-Muzzammil and other surahs. And then these two verses, وَأَنْذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ And the other one, فَصْبَعْ بِمَا تُؤْمَرْ So these were the two. And then we look carefully in the seer and we'll find out that danger started to appear. And from that moment on, Quraysh started to see every single verse that is coming to Prophet Muhammad as a danger. Why was it danger to Quraysh? That's what we read in the Quran. Take for example, Surah Al-An'am Surah Al-An'am came early in the history of Islam and I, I wish I, inshallah next Thursday I give you a course on, on the Quran and how we understand the Quran but let me just give you a taste of what it takes to think and reflect about the Quran Al-An'am is a term Surah Al-An'am is the first surah after Surah Al-Fatiha, the first long surah that was revealed in Mecca, in the order of the Qur'an. So you have Al-Fatiha, Al-Baqarah, Al-Imran, Al-Nisa, Al-Ma'idah, and then Al-An'am, number six. So it's the first major surah where Allah introduces to you the concepts of Aqeedah, the concept. You get a taste of what Islam was in, in Mecca. Al-An'am is a term that refers to cattle, animals, cattle, sheep, goats, cows, camels, you know, all these kind of things. Why does the Quran devote a surah about animals? Because of the economics, actually, as we will explain, is that Allah here? We'll I'll explain what my brother said over here shortly. But before I do that, Al-An'am there is an example of something. Or is it a concept by itself? Is an example to illustrate a point? Or is the point by itself? Like when I say Jannah. Is Jannah an example of something that we can see and do in this life? Or is it a concept by itself? Jannah is a concept by itself. You gotta learn about Jannah by itself. But Al-An'am, it's given to us as an example of a concept that Allah wants to illustrate for us. Could we find other examples similar to Al-An'am in our day life today? Yes. You see? So Al-An'am is an example of something that Allah wants us to learn. A concept and the example to illustrate that concept is Al-An'am. Then if I don't understand the concept, I don't understand the Qur'an. You see? If I don't understand the point, why Allah mentioned Al-An'am there, then I don't understand the point. Let me explain. People at that time used to put marks on certain kinds of An'am. And they put a mark, they say, 
If it's marked that way, it's called that name. Wasila or Hamil or Sa'id. And once it is labeled with this name, then nobody touches it. It has a special significance, becomes sacred to them. And this is the case, what's going to happen to the price of this, this kind of mark animal? Is it the price going to go up or down? Definitely up. There will be a few. They're not going to mark all the sheep. They're only going to mark a few. And they're going to sell them much, at much higher price than others. Then Quran comes in and tells Prophet Muhammad that these cattle or these animals have no difference than the rest of the animals and the people who are making laws for you, you follow them blindly and you're committing shirk. You see? So the people all wake up. They start to wake up. And the followers of Prophet Muhammad the numbers start to increase. Then what's going to happen to the price of these sheep? Mark ones. Going to go up or down? Down. That's an economic threat. And that's a danger to Quraysh. You see? You look at this danger. Actually, the danger was coming to Quraysh in every single verse. From all verses, from every direction, the Quran was there. You know, surrounding and attacking Quraysh and their beliefs. When we talk about Hajj, people making Hajj. And they used to make Hajj in a cloth that was made in Mecca. If you don't have a piece of cloth that was made in Mecca, you can't make Tawaf. Either you make Tawaf with a piece of cloth that was made in Mecca or you make Tawaf with no cloth at all. Totally with no cloth. Man or woman, it does not matter. And he followed the people. They followed the school, unfortunately. Then Prophet Muhammad comes in and recites to them what Surah Al-A'raf is telling him. Ya Bani Adam, qad anzalna alaykum libasa yuwari sawatikum warish. Or you the children of Adam, we have sent you a dress to cover you up. Ya Bani Adam, la yafinannakum al-shaytan kama akhraj abawikum min al-jannati yanzi'u anhuma libasahuma biyuriyahuma sawatihim. Oh, the children of Adam do not let shaitan, you know, fool you and let you undress and take your dress out as he fooled the people before you or your grandparents before. So be careful. So Islam comes in and says, nonsense what's going on as Surah Al-A'raf teaches the Muslims. So what's going to happen? When the Muhammad told the people that there is no difference between the dress that is made in Mecca or any other dress that is made in any other place. The price of the clothes that were made in Mecca is going to go up or down. Down. That's another threat, another danger. When the Prophet tells them, The best of you is the one who fears Allah the most. There is no difference between the slave and the master. A threat to their social norms, a danger to their ego and their pride. Again, you can think of other examples and you can look at this as a danger that was surrounding Quraysh from everywhere. And here comes the rule of the Quran. Holding the Quran in your hand, as I gave you the example from Surah Al-An'am, from Surah Al-A'raf, you can have other examples from other surahs. And you can learn a lot. 
And I'll be happy to take you on a journey to give you examples of that. They did a lot of research in that. Actually, I researched the Quran from the beginning until now Surah Az-Zumar, which is in part 23. And I found a lot of very interesting lessons. And I hope Allah gives me the strength to do the research on the rest of the seven parts of the Quran. And you will, you will be amazed into how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and his companions. Look into what happened as a result. Quraysh decided to respond. They can't stand helpless against the Quran and against the danger that was presented to them. So they had to follow strategy here. And their strategy was to negotiate with Abu Talib. They went to Abu Talib and they told him, look into your cousin, look into what he did to us, look into how he mocked our gods and look into how much he put down our beliefs and divided the us and you know, all these sort of things. And Abu Talib responded and went to the Prophet and told his nephew, Oh you, my son, look what you have done to your people and I wish you find a way to quit what you do. And here comes in the seerah the response of the Prophet to his uncle, by Allah, if they put the sun on my right hand and the moon on my left hand to leave this religion, I will not leave. Allahi ya ammi, wa wabaun shamsa fi yameeni, wa al-qamara fi shimali ala an atruka hadha al-deena ma tarak. That's what we learn in the seerah of Prophet Muhammad But I want you to look into what the Qur'an also is saying. And for that purpose, you need to examine Surah Al-Kafirun. قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدُ وَلَا أَنَا عَابِدٌ مَا عَبَدْتُمْ وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدُ لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ Important to understand what the emphasis on. So the emphasis on Aqeedah, on Iman, on faith. Very strong. It's important to look in light of that into Surah Al-Isra. وَلَوْلَا أَن ثَبَّتْنَاكَ لَقَدْ كِتَّ تَرْكَنُ إِلَيْهِمْ شَيْئًا قَدِيلًا إِذًا لَأَذَقَنَاكَ ضِعْفَ الْحَيَاةِ وَضِعْفَ الْمَلَاةِ ثُمَّ لَا تَجِدُ لَكَ عَلَيْنَا نَصِيرًا If we didn't support you, you would have lent to them, you would have leaned to them a little bit, you would have given up to them, you would have, you know, taken, you know, listened to them and be friends with them. If we didn't support you, this would have happened. And in this case, if this would have happened, we would have given you double the punishment in this earth and double the punishment in the hereafter. And you would not find anybody to support you. See how much threat is made against the Prophet And the Prophet never did this. But the lesson is for us. For us. 
and for supporting him and directing him and guiding him then when it comes with the matters of faith and aqidah and dealing with the non-Muslims and the non-believers you're going to be very strong very important message we are getting close to finishing I'm sorry it took longer than that and the second front was to negotiate with the Prophet directly so they went to the Prophet and he sent you know Abu Walid to the Prophet said to him Hutba said to him uh, if you want to be the king we'll let you be the king if you want to be the richest we'll get you the money and make you the richest if you want to get married we'll get you the best among us to marry the best among us if you want this we'll get, if you sick we'll get you the dispositions you know they made lots of offers what was the Prophet's response to that you see Prophet was listening calmly nicely and then he said to him are you done Walid? and he said yes then the Prophet ﷺ recited for him parts of Surah Fussilat. Hameen, Tanzeelun min al-Rahman al-Rahim, Kitabun Fussilat ayatuhu Qur'anan arabiyan liqawmi ya'lamun, Bashiran wa nadiran fa'a'gada akhtaruhum fahum la yasma'un. And the verses went on and on until the Prophet ﷺ reached the verse in which he said, فَإِنْ أَعْرَضُوا فَقُلْ أَنْذَرْتُكُمْ صَائِقَةً مِثْلَ صَائِقَةِ عَادٍ وَثَمُونَ if they turn away, then tell them, I warn you, you know, a disaster like the one who came to Ad and Tamur. Then Abel Walid put his fingers in his ears and said, enough. And left and said to his people, leave him alone. If he's good, he'll benefit. If he's no good, he'll harm himself, he'll not harm you. And the response was immediately, Saharaka Abel Walid. He touched you with his magic, Abu Ghazib. See? So that part was very important for us to understand the rule of the Qur'an in the seerah and the rule of the Qur'an and what was happening at that time. And of course, all those negotiations resulted in failure. Did not succeed. So they decided to respond again and what we may call in today's terminology they had to have an emergency meeting in our terminology today they had to have this kind of emergency meeting and they decided we're gonna, we're gonna meet but the problem is the Quran was much faster in its attack than the moves you see they were slow it took them time. You don't meet in a day, or you know, it takes you time to get the leaders to get together. While this was taking place, the call for an emergency meeting and to remedy the situation, the Quran was being revealed almost on a daily basis or weekly basis, and tons of, you know, lots of verses are coming at the same time, and all of them attacking the Quraysh and supporting Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu bringing new concepts, bringing new life, all you you know, way of life is coming in the Qur'an. Here comes the importance of understanding what Surah Taha means, what Surah Al-Ankabut means, what the Surahs that start with uh, Alif Lam Ra means, what the Surahs that start with Ha means. You have a golden opportunity for you 
When you look into all the Hamim, the Atam in the Quran, in part 23 and 24, two parts of the Quran, all of them came one after the other, in the same order. You have two parts of the Quran that came one surah after the other in the chronological time, in the chronological order that happened at the time of Muhammad A golden opportunity to see what was going on in that much of the Quran. And that's what I mean over here. This was a process that was very important. So, we look here. Sorry for the technicalities here. They decided, going to come up with a new strategy. We're going to change our strategy from negotiation here to a new strategy. And that new strategy took this form. Number one, attack. Prophet Muhammad himself. Of course, we're talking here about intellectual attack. Abu Talib was still there. They didn't want to hurt him physically. He couldn't because of the tribal laws that were there and the protection that was provided by Abu Talib. And we have lots of evidence from the Quran. It's a poet or an insane. You know, said so many things. Is a listener that listens to anything. You know, and on and on. And again, I'm just opening doors for you so that you can do the research and find out. And actually, I wrote, yeah, so far I wrote five chapters in the way that I described to you. I wrote them in a book about seal. So, inshallah, I can share that with Brother Munir. And it's a textbook, so there are questions at the end of each chapter, multiple questions, and it's a high school and college level, you know, so it's not really elementary school, it's for senior students in, in the high school and for first year of college. But you're most welcome to use these, and I'll give copies to Brother Munir. You're most welcome to look at them and use them in your da'wah efforts and your educational efforts. And uh, the second was to attack the Qur'an. And there is lots of evidence in the Qur'an about their claims. Lots of details. What they said about the Qur'an. Uh, you know that There is bashar. لسان الذي يلحدون إليه أعجمي وهذا لسان عربي مبين said he's given this by somebody who is not an Arab who is telling him these tales that he read in the Quran and on and on and then the third front was to attack the companions of Prophet Muhammad and that attack was physical attack and we have seen the first martyr in the history of Islam who was the first person to believe in the message of Prophet Muhammad A man or a woman? A woman. Who is the first martyr? A man or a woman? Can tell from these two facts how much woman gave for the sake of Allah and Islam. First to believe, first to give their lives for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The lot of support from women to Prophet Muhammad a lot of strength coming from the females in, in Islam. 
And of course there were other methods like going to the people of the book, like Suratul Kahf, go and ask Prophet, and the people of the book, they'll tell you what to say. They told them, ask him about four things, about, you know, Ahlul Kahf, and about Dil Qarnayn, and about the spirit, you know, things like that. So this, again, each of these would be a chapter, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, in a book of Sirah. And of course, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the helpless Muslims had to fight back. And of course, you have to understand that they had only one thing to fight with, which was the Quran. As Surah Al-Furqan tells us, وَجَاهِدْهُمْ بِهِ جِهَادًا كَبِيرًا Make jihad with the Quran. Was that a physical jihad or an intellectual jihad? Intellectual jihad. <coughs> the only thing they had. And the fight <coughs> was really at its peak and the Quran was the ultimate winner. So, if you look here, you find out that Prophet Muhammad and his companions used the Quran a lot. Used Surah Taha, for example, to counter the attack on Prophet Muhammad. And you can say that about all the surahs that start with Ta. Ta means in Surah Al Qasas, for example. وَنَجْعَلَهُمْ أَئِمَّ وَنَجْعَلَهُمُ الْوَارِثِينَ Want to give a gift to those who are weak on earth. And we make them imams. And we make them the ones who inherit the earth. To support the weak Muslims. Support Prophet Muhammad And tell him that Allah will send you a gift. And will make you the inheritor of the earth. And will make you the imam. As he made Musa السلام, and his people. The imam and the inheritors of the earth. And on and on. The Taseen are examples of surahs that came to support Prophet Muhammad and counter the attack against him as well as other surahs as well. In terms of the Quran, find it clearly in Surah Al-Furqan. Blessed be the one who sent Al-Furqan to his Prophet Muhammad to warn the people. And in Furqan you see details of how the Muslims, you know, were using the Quran to counter the attack against the Quran. And all the claims are mentioned, or most of the claims are mentioned in Surah Al-Furqan. And a reply to these claims is, uh, is mentioned as well, and well documented. And when they were ordered, to bow down, as the Quran says, and when they are ordered to bow down to Allah, they say, Wamar Rahman. They are ordered to bow down to Rahman. They say, Wamar Rahman. Wama zadahum illa nufur. So Allah, as a, as a result to that, gave to us in Surah Al Furqan, Wa'ibadur Rahman illadina yamshuna ala al ardi hawd. When the Kafir said, Wamar Rahman, you know, and this increased the Balad, Allah said, Ibadul Rahman. So we find a good intellectual and good description of who are Ibadul Rahman in Surah al Fatah. And you can look at it in that light and you will learn a lot from that, inshaAllah. And then the attack on the companions, we can see clearly a counter attack of that in Surah Al-Ankabut 
سورة العنكبوت ألف لام ميم أحسب الناس أن يتركوا أن يقولوا آمنا وهم لا يفتنون Do people think they're going to say we believe without being tested and it gives a lot of support for the Muslims and show them that you know that getting hurt for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is nothing compared to the reward that you will get in the day of judgment ومن الناس من إذا أودي في الله جعل فتنة الناس كعذاب الله People sometimes equate the hurt that they get in this life with the punishment that will come in the day of judgment. It's not the same. What you get now is nothing. You see? So you'll find support and guidance and all these concepts presented to you in Surah Al-Ankabut about this. And of course you will find other surahs as well coming to you in other places. Maybe inshallah. I can, inshallah, or I, maybe I, I may choose one of these and show you how the Qur'an supported the Muslims. Give you a clear example, with taking one example or two examples of the Qur'an and show you what I mean by that, inshallah. And if you look at the curve of suffering here, this is the third year, and then the suffering started after the third year until it reached this peak in the tenth year, and after that, Allah started to relieve Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we can explain why this happens, inshaAllah, at this time. With that, I conclude my presentation to you. I'll be happy to listen to your comments or any question you have. Yes. Can we turn on the lights, please? But extending that same concept one level further, some surahs, the words are interspersed over a period of time, even though you speak of one surah roughly, it's true. Do you have the words, at least in the timeline of the surah, individual words, not just the words? Of course, we don't have the evidence, and, and that's why you, you find, for example, some of the copies of the Quran, like this copy that you have here. On, almost all the modern copies that are made, especially the, these are made in Saudi Arabia, you won't find mention, any mention about Surah Al-Ra'd, for example, here. It does not say revealed after what Surah. The old copies of the Quran, the ones that were printed in Egypt and in other places, they always they used to tell you this surah was revealed after this. Why did they omit it now? Because they don't have a solid, solid evidence or a clear, you know, or a correct hadith, 100% that says that this was revealed after this. So most of it is educated guess. But we have verses that coincide, for example, from the seerah. We know that, you know, part of the seerah that Jafar and Nabi Talib read parts of surah Maryam in the fifth year in Tuan Najash. So we know that it was revealed before that. So you can, you can make educated guesses like that and make conclusions, logical conclusions, as Zarkashi did in Ulum al-Quran. So it's a beautiful book. And he put the order of them. Ali ibn Abi Talib used to have his copy of the Quran made in the order of revelation. But we know that ultimately we just ended up with one copy of the Quran that Abu Bakr kept. So, uh, the answer to that is we're going to make educated guess. 
I think we, I don't want to hold the people too long. Too. I wouldn't really I I would recommend understanding I'm helping with the Quran Institute now in, in, in Houston and let me tell you an, a beautiful experience that I I did actually uh, sorry I did the, the experiment two days ago I you know opened after school Quran class or Islamic studies class for students who are in the public school. So I decided I'm going to give it myself. And I spent one hour, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for one hour with these students. So you ended up with a few students who came, didn't publicize the program, just a few students came. But I know that the students who came are the, are the students of, of parents who care. And I looked at them, examined them, gave them an exam at the beginning. So I found out that their level is good. And that encouraged me to give them higher level, you know, information. So I told them, I'm going to make experiment with you. I want to see the effect of understanding the Quran on your speed of memorization of the Quran. So I said to them, we will start from the Qur'an, from the beginning of the Qur'an. You all memorize Al-Fatiha. I asked how many of you memorize Al-Baqarah or anything from Al-Baqarah? Nobody. So I said, good. That's, that, that's helpful. Let us start from the first page of Surah Al-Baqarah. So I said, before I start, I will explain to you what it means. And I gave them background about what Surah Al-Baqarah is and what the verses are. And I get similar presentation to what we have here. And then after that, I said, okay. And I made the Arabic, and that would be a project for Brother Munir here for next year. For if we wanna, if we wanna change the curriculum into Arabic curriculum to serve the memorization of the Quran, uh, that would be very helpful. And so I gave them the Arabic words that are mentioned in the first page, and I put it in sentences. I did all of that, and then I said, okay, now you start memorization, and I looked at my watch and I said, okay, I'm going to see how long it's going to take you to memorize this page. Surprisingly, the average was about seven minutes. You see, it made a big difference. The children themselves were surprised. They said, we've never done it before in, in that time frame. It took them like, you know, a week to memorize one page or more than a week to memorize one page. And now in five to, some of them finished it in five minutes, some of them finished it in ten minutes, but nobody finished it in, in more than ten minutes. So that helps us a lot if we want our children to really, really memorize the Quran, they better understand it. If they understand it, they memorize it well. And it doesn't have to be in the same order of revelation. Same, I, I think Allah put the Quran in the order the way it is now for a reason, for a wisdom. So I follow what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made for us. Yeah. Please. Uh, one, uh, the, 
I spend about 15 minutes. So in these 15 minutes they understood all the important words on that page? Important words, important concepts, you know, like uh, when we talk about, you know, Al-Ghayb, Yu'minuna Bil-Ghayb, what is Al-Ghayb, and uh, why is it called Al-Ghayb, and what does the word Al-Ghayb mean, you know, asking them to put the word Al-Ghayb in a sentence, things like that. So I spend about 15 minutes with them explaining these things. And when we say الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ So next to Al-Ghayb comes As-Salat. Why Salat? Then we related it to what I taught them before because I was teaching them for quite some time. So I taught them that Salat after the pillars of Iman comes the pillars of Islam. And top of the pillars of Islam after Shahada comes Salat. So it makes sense. يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ And then وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ So logically now they started to realize that after Al-Ghayb the most important thing in their lives would be Salat. So in their mind now they can't miss it. They're going to say يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ And immediately they're not going to forget the word وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ Things like that. When you say sentences you mean Arabic sentences? Arabic sentences. Yeah. Thank you, Lord Good. Maybe we'll make it the last question because you have to go and sleep, right? So, <laughs> so I Actually, you'll be surprised see, about the rule of knowledge in Islam. If you examine, after you read Surah Al-Fatiha, you examine Surah Al-Baqarah, and you ask the question, what is the most frequently repeated word in Surah Al-Baqarah? It's knowledge. Repeated there in Surah Al-Baqarah, 76 times. 
which is a lot. And do that research. There is the word Arafa or Arafu, and there is Ilm or Ya'lam or Ya'lamun. Arafa is about 10 times. Ya'lam or Ya'lamun is about 68 times. That tells you the importance or Ya'lamun or La Ya'lamun or things like that. Tells you the importance of knowledge. You can function in Islam without knowledge. And similarly, when you look into Surah Al-Hajj, Hajj is the engine of ibadah, the heart of ibadah. Again, the word ilm is among the most frequently used words in Surah Al-Hajj. And no surprise, now it's the first word that was revealed to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about reading and writing, part of knowledge. Islam looks at knowledge as the foundation of Islam. If the religion is not, is not based on knowledge, it's not really going to be a good, solid knowledge. If ibadah is not based on knowledge, it might lead to bid'ah So I think in Islam, knowledge is very fundamental. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree that the importance of I, I don't understand exactly what you say. Let me ask you a question. I think what he's trying to say is that there is emphasis on knowledge and taking Allah's illustrate prophet. Oh, okay. Wallahi, that, that's a very good uh, observation. Uh, and I think if, an, if a prophet was not given the chance to learn and get the education, you see, carries this and puts an emphasis on education, and gets education, not necessarily in the traditional way, but get education from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's very significant. And that's very beautiful. That you find knowledge everywhere. You find it with somebody who never got education. People would have made a claim that he got this from his education. He got it only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, Allah has his way of doing things. And maybe if it was given by Prophet Muhammad who was very well educated, they would have said, oh, he's an educated person. So I, I, don't, I don't claim to have a good answer to your question, but I reflect about it, inshallah. And if you have any answer, you share it with us, inshallah. Okay, Zakumallah khair. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wal'asr. Inna al-insana lati khusr. إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر السلام عليكم